Good afternoon. I'm Lawrence Cornfield, Chief Building Inspector with the Department of Building Inspection's uh, Brown Bag Lunch. And we do this every third Thursday of every month. Here we are at the Ferry Plaza, and the Ferry Building is right behind me. This is one of San Francisco's great landmarks. It is a designated landmark. I guess it is a designated landmark, yes, isn't it? It's on the list of the National Register list of historic buildings. Okay, and with me today I have a few guests. Dan Hodap, an old friend of mine and a bicycling partner, and he's a planner with the Port of San Francisco. And uh, welcome. Thanks for coming along, Dan. Thank you, Lawrence. And Jane Connors, who is the ferry building manager, is that right? That's right. Okay. And Jane's going to lead us on a little walk through the ferry building as we move along and talk about the plaza as well. This is a really fun and uh, unique place in San Francisco. Big open space. Actually, a couple of times a week, this is filled with a marketplace, right? About 100 farmers. 100 farmers. So what days of the week are they? Uh... They're here on Saturdays mm -hmm. with the, the uh, farmer's market out front and on the back plaza. And then on Tuesdays from 10 to 2, we have about 60 farmers okay. out front. And that's, and that's... both year-round. Great, and that's out here on this plaza. Just on Saturdays back here, and then on Tuesdays um, in the front. Okay, I see. Okay, and I guess my, I'm interested in what happened. We have a plaza. Isn't this where the ferry boats used to come? What happened? The whole back side of the ferry building was originally lined with slips for ferry boats. It could handle about 14 boats at one time. Uh, the ferries were very popular. The building was built about 1898. And the ferries were very popular up until the Bay Bridge got built, about not opened in the early 30s. At that time, the passengers shifted from taking ferries to going across the bridge, and the ferry service diminished to almost nothing. And the cars were the source of uh, reduction in the use, but they also uh, led to the development of the freeway in front of the ferry building which in 1989 was badly damaged in the Loma Prieta earthquake and then demolished. And lo and behold, we have a ferry building again uh, after the 89 earthquake. We do. We're seeing the full cycle come around now. The ferry building was renovated and opened in 2003. The downtown ferry terminal was expanded with gates B and E and opened in 2001. Um, as ferry service is coming back in vogue, the bridges are full. People are looking for other ways to cross the bay. And their studies have found that ferry use may increase by two or three times what it is today within the next 15 years. And I should say that a lot of people are looking for alternate ways of getting around, getting into town. Dan bicycles to work every, every day. I bicycle to work. Other people walk, bicycle, take other means of transportation, and fewer people are driving. And it's not just the price of gas. There are many other factors that get people to do that. It's fun to ride to work. It's fun to ride along the waterfront. And you see that on the weekends. The Embarcadero Roadway and the Promenade are just full of people coming down, whether they're from out of town or in town, to walk along the waterfront, to ride a bike, to take a walk. Uh, we are becoming one of the most public waterfronts in the country. That's part of what the port is doing. So, once upon a time, the boats would come right in here, where we're standing, I presume. Actually, we know that because I have a photograph of that. My wife collects historic postcards of San Francisco. We have uh, photographs of the ferry building with all the piers in place at night. So the ferry building actually uh, went through the 1906 earthquake. What happened? How badly damaged was it, you know, in the 1906 earthquake? It was just the clock tower was rendered probably the most unsafe or compromised part of the building. Uh -huh. And they actually uh, redid the facade. There was talk, I think, for a few months about 
taking the clock tower down, but uh -huh. it's remained largely intact and it's studied because of that. And we're going to talk some more about the clock tower in a little while. It's really, really wonderful. Okay, so somehow or another this, this big platform, this plaza got built. Well, Do you know approximately what era they in built this In the 70s, when BART came in, it came underneath Market Street and has the tube underneath the bay. BART came in and built the platform for their facilities here. The, ferry, the BART tube goes underneath the ferry building and underneath this platform as well and then across the bay. So this was developed as part of the overall BART uh, transportation yes. strategy. And the Sinbad's restaurant was the construction shack for the BART construction at that time. Okay, and Sinbad's restaurant is behind us. Actually, it's not on this plaza. It's separated a little bit. Is that on a separate pier? Is that, that's just called Gate E of the ferry uh, plaza? Uh, it's adjacent to the new Gate E. It's called Pier 2. Here too. Okay. I uh, every now and then I talk to people who are from out of town, and they say, "Where's the, where's the Giants ballpark or something?" And I say, "It's next to Pier 40." Well, they just make the assumption, of course, that Pier 40 is next to Pier 39. Of course, we know that's not true. The the numbering is odd north of the ferry building and even south of the ferry building, right? That's Starting. Correct, so, what's yeah. the number of the ferry building? The ferry building. The ferry building. Yeah. Okay. So it doesn't need a number. It doesn't need a number. Okay. And then uh, north of the ferry building, we have Pier 1. What is Pier 1 now? Pier 1, 3, and 5 have recently been redeveloped into a combination of office space and restaurants. They're just in the process of leasing out those restaurants now. It is also listed on the National Register of Historic Places. There's, a, I believe, being a sailor, you're familiar with the new public launch that sits behind one and a half. Okay, I have to tell you how wonderful this is. I'm a sailor, and uh, usually I sail out of South Beach Harbor at Pier 40 with the Bay Area Association of Disabled Sailors and take people sailing and teach sailing for them. And there are very few places along the whole Bay waterfront where there is public access. And right up the street at Pier one and a half, just a hundred yards up on the other side, is a brand new public launch where you can pull in a boat up to 40 feet and spend three hours and go have lunch, and it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So whoever did that, thank you. Was that a port project? It's it's uh, private facilitated by the port. facilitated port. It's a public-private partnership that was done with the port, and the redevelopment appears one and a half to five. And we hope to be putting in more of that type of facility as we go up and down the waterfront. And it's part of a, a collection of smaller facilities that may someday be used by a water taxi system. Excellent. Is there any major changes in vision for the plaza here behind the uh, ferry building? Well, we are just starting to look at the phase two of the downtown ferry terminal, where we're going to look at how we are going to accommodate this two to three times as many ferry passengers. When looking at that, we will look at this plaza here. How can we best make use of it? How can it continue to serve the Golden Gate ferry passengers? How can it complement the ferry building in a much higher way than it does now? And also become a place where people want to be. It's a, making it a pedestrian place. So that'll be part of this upcoming study. And we have all these various uses to make sure we have to make sure they're not conflicting, like the use of it as a farmer's market, and the use of it for passengers passing through, and the use of it for Parking. What's the deal with parking? I thought it says no trucks or cars allowed. What's the deal here? <laughs> Deliveries. Deliveries. All okay. of our marketplace, uh, you know, patrons and um, and merchants need right. to have vehicles to bring bread and and deliver bread to other restaurants and stuff like that. So yeah. And it's true. We are we are orienting the ferry building toward uh, the first floor anyway. It's sort of a food 
uh, center, right. restaurants and food service and, and uh, supplies, right. and we need a place to deliver. And you surely can't park out on markets on, uh, on the Embarcadero to deliver. So you need a place to do it. Okay. Because when I try and drive back here, they won't let me drive. There are a number of public parking or public and private garages within walking distance of the ferry building area. And we encourage people who visit the farmer's market or visit the ferry building to find those garages. And we're, there's some of that information is on the port's website for people to find. Okay. So we just heard three blasts of the ferry horn. I don't know if you heard that. Three blasts means backing up, going in reverse, right? One blast is turning to starboard, two blasts is turning to port, three blasts is backing up, and five means watch out, imminent danger. What else can you tell us about the port plans for the, the waterfront in this vicinity? The port is continuing to, as we look at the ferry building area, we figure the ferry building, which opened in 2003, just after it turned 100 years old, is the first major piece of this whole area. Uh, the next smaller, the next pieces will be to continue to expand the downtown ferry terminal, keeping the transportation function of the ferry building authentic. It is the ferry building. It is for going on ferries. To keep that use as a primary use. And then also looking at renovating the other historic structures. Pier 1 has been renovated, as I mentioned, one and a half to five. All those are also on the National Register. The agriculture building off behind us is the next one to do. That's also on the National Register. So to continue to take care of the historic resources and then improve the facilities for passengers getting to ferries, uh, more covered waiting areas, and then also looking at the public space. When you're a visitor to the waterfront, whether you're riding a ferry or coming down to enjoy the waterfront or the ferry building, that the public space is what you expect and it enhances that visit. Right. Now I remember something about uses along the waterfront having to be maritime related. Is that something you still focus on or has there been some change in the in the direction of that? The port is still the port. The port is a very untraditional port. When you think of most ports, there are cargo facilities. The port of San Francisco has a very limited amount of cargo, but it's a very diverse port. There are 11 different maritime business lines, whether it's cruise ships, ferries, excursions, fishing industry, bar pilots, tugboats, ship repair, the cargo, and a couple others I haven't mentioned. Uh, as we redevelop the waterfront, we are integrating all those individual uses into the new developments. You mentioned Pier 1.5, the boat dock that comes out there. We're working on a cruise terminal facility up at Pier 27. So they're always looking to integrate those in. Right. Unfortunately, all those uses, which are our responsibility, also generally all lose money. So we have to look at revenue-generating uses to help support this renovation of the waterfront. But are your uses limited to maritime-related uses, or can you have non-maritime uses? It, it's a, there are other uses we can do. Our state, we are state lands. We're not city property. And state lands uh, has a, a narrow list of uses. Our office has to be maritime-related office. Unless it's in a historic building, we can get an exception. Our facilities have to be for the people of the state of California. They have to be enhance that visit there. They're not local serving uses. So our list, we can't do any residential on the waterfront. We can't do any hotels over the waterfront. There is some port property on the land side of the Embarcadero where the uses are more liberal. Mm -hmm. 
Somebody told me that there were 11 different agencies, and it's probably more than that, that regulate the use of space along the... There must be at clauses. least 11. It's the city and county of San Francisco, the port, the Bay Conservation and Development Commission, the State Lands Commission. We need permits from the Regional Water Quality Control Board, the Army Corps of Engineers, Fish and Game, Boating and Wildlife. Okay, so every time somebody wants to do something, it has to go through all of, these, all of these review agencies. It makes it very interesting. Now, something that I've always found interesting is that the port really is a separate administrative jurisdiction. We are not, this, this area that we're on is not regulated by, for example, the Department of Building Inspection in the city of San Francisco. The port has its own authority granted by state law and maybe state charter. Um, which says they have their own building department, they issue their own permits, they have their own planning department, Dan works for their planning department. So it's a separate governmental organization in many, many ways. Well, just to come back to the port's primary mission as described by state lands, being that this is state lands, uh, number one, to provide for maritime commerce, navigation, and fisheries. Number two, to protect natural resources, which we also interpret to be cultural resources. And number three, to provide facilities that attract people to the waterfront. Right. This is the waterfront of the people of California. That's what our state lands mission is. The port does not share budget with the city. We don't collect any tax revenue. The port doesn't have any taxing authority. So the port lives and dies by the revenue it generates on port property. Mm -hmm. So how's the ferry building doing in terms of creating revenue. Uh, no, it's, it's been phenomenally successful. You know, we're fully leased and um, yeah, I think the merchants are incredibly happy to be a part of such a vibrant community. A lot of tourists and I mean this is one of the must-see places in San Francisco now. Anybody who gets here from out of town is told you gotta walk through the ferry building. Yeah, we haven't done a quantifiable study but yeah, there's a lot of visitors here. And yes, and definitely a lot of locals too that feel very, very strongly about their connection to the marketplace. Okay, so um, right behind us, you were mentioning this is Pier, Pier 14. 14. Well, what it was first is a breakwater for the downtown ferry building, ferry terminal, excuse me. It was a breakwater for the downtown ferry terminal constructed in 2001. After that, we added public access improvements on top of it and took and connected it to the land side as the breakwater didn't come all the way to the shore. And now it's a 637-foot-long public access pier just to go out and enjoy the, enjoy the bay, watch the ferry activity come in. Um, there's a few bits of art on it. There's the Louise Bourgeois spider out in front of it now right. that you need to go visit. There are swivel chairs, stainless steel swivel chairs out on it. And there are little sea shanty poems as well. Uh, excellent. And can you tell us a little bit about Prop A that was recently passed and how that might affect this waterfront stretch? On February 5th, San Francisco voters approved Prop A, the Neighborhood Parks Bond. The Recreation and Parks Department and the Port are both recipients of that Parks Bond, General Obligation Bond money. Which was the, how much? Thirty. Um, the total bond was 185 million. The Port will receive 33 and a half million to improve about six open spaces along the waterfront. Eleven years ago, the Port adopted its first ever land use plan. And as part of that, developed open space policies, one to do a continuous waterfront open space along the seven and a half miles of the Port of San Francisco waterfront, and then to do a sequence of public spaces every five to seven minute walking interval along that. So over the last 10, 11 years, we've been implementing those public spaces, Rincon Park, South Beach Park, Pier 14, and now Prop A, Due to the voters of San Francisco will allow us to add about six more of those public spaces.
And I understand this is part of the, um, what is it, a Bay Trail, is that right? The San Francisco Bay Trail, which is being developed. It's a trail that goes all the way around the bay. And so the San Francisco portion of it along the Embarcadero waterfront is the heaviest used portion in the Bay Area. Is that also, is that a walking trail or a bicycle trail? Or? It's both, both um, walking and bicycling. Great. Okay, uh, Dan has to go. Thanks very much, Dan. Lawrence, appreciate Thank you it. very much. Please enjoy the waterfront. Oh, yeah. We are. We are. Okay, we are going to go around and into the front door here of the old Gabianos and take a look at this map. We can see the ferry building was originally built on uh, wood piles that were driven down into the mud, not to bedrock. It's almost impossible to find bedrock. It's so deep here, but this is very highly consolidated bay mud underneath. The reason this whole plaza was here was to bring enough uh, structure out here so they could build this whole transbay tube ventilation and access shaft. And their construction materials were stocked here. And it's funny how the development led to some permanent construction. The same thing was true if those of you who go up to Hetch Hetchy and you go to Camp Mather, you, a lot of what you see at Camp Mather, which is now permanent and historic, was built as part of the construction shack and, you know, places for people to live as when they built the dam. The same is true here. That temporary stuff becomes permanent for other uses. Okay, so here's a section the other way through the BART tube, BART ventilation shaft, the tube, and the ferry. And you'll see that the average water depth here is shown to be about 40 feet, which is about right. And that's what we usually see sailing around the bay is that on this side of the bay, the west side of the bay, we have, you know, sort of average depths that are 35, 40, 45, 50 feet. On the east side of the bay, it's very shallow. And then under the bridges, it gets deeper. These larger ships that come through really need to have at least 40 feet. They actually have to dredge some of it, but they have very limited channels around the bay. So in a sailboat, I have to watch out. These ships cannot turn and get out of my way because they'll go aground. Okay, so now next we are going to go walk across the plaza and into the ferry building. Okay. And here, we're going to head over here and stop at the fungi store, right. Far West Fungi. Fungi. And we have all these phenomenal mushrooms here. Yeah, the Garonis, actually John Garonis, the official mushroom man of San Francisco. Aaron Peskin gave him a, um, a, an official title and placard, yeah. So, and he's one of our tenants, but he also started out as a, a beat cop in San Francisco and um, was asked by a friend to help at a farmer's market. And he had grown up on a farm. Last thing he wanted to do was work at farmer's market, and then he started getting interested in mushrooms and has since grown into this incredible business. Are any of these local from San Francisco area? Well, they're, fr they're grown in Moss Landing. That's their farm. Their family farm is in Moss Landing. And then the Garonis also work with foragers who go to Northern California and go into the forest and actually not tell anybody else where they're going because they're right. very particular about where they go. And they'll bring in, you'll see a forager walking through the building with a huge Corsini that they found after a huge rainstorm. And, very cleverly and, and proudly carry it in here and sell it to the Gronies. Excellent, excellent. Wow, I have never seen some of these before, like the lion's mane mushroom. Mm -hmm. Some of these are great. Shimeji we've seen. Sea beans is new to me. Do you have any, do you actually? Uh, I do, I love mushrooms, I love mushrooms. Of course, I'm a big Portobello fan, uh -huh. but I'll come down here and do a little mix, tossed with some pasta and olive oil. Yeah, they're phenomenal. And you know, I'm surprised the prices are the same as they are anyplace else. Very reasonable. Very reasonable. 
and it's going right to the grower, so even Perfect. better. This is Prather Ranch. It's our organic meat company. It's a closed herd, which means since 1968, uh, there's been no foreign uh, cows or cattle in there. So it's a very, very pristine, beautiful, beautiful meat. And you can actually, Carter or Ian, can I have you guys explain one of the, um, the tags of the dates on the Prather? Sure. Real quickly, uh, if you want to. I'll show you what I got. Yeah. Hand it right out here. So there's a tag number on, right on the label. You see it. Or look it right up. That's pretty much a tag number where we can trace the steer back to him, him, his mother, his mother's mother, and his mother's mother's. What wow. they ate, how they were raised, how they, you know, how they lived. No other place in California does that. Yeah. What do you have on sale today? What's our specialty here? What's our special item today? Everything's pretty much special here. But Everything's special. The caveman pork chops. Caveman pork chops. Look at that thing. Pork bacon chop, bone in. Wow. Now you don't see very often anywhere. Wow, that is so That has the belly attached to it, wow. so you get the best of both worlds. You get bacon, you get the loin. So. Bacon and the loin, if, if, if you so desire. Thank you very much. In 1999, the port put out an RFP to restore the building. One of the major sort of pulls that intrigued the port was that they were going to restore this great nave in the middle of the building on the second floor and open up this cutout here to connect the bottom floor, which was traditionally storage for uh, luggage. These actual berths that the stores are in were for uh, trunks and supplies for the ferries. But to connect this bottom floor with the skylight and really open up the building. So it used to have a second floor that extended yeah. out. It still was open, right? It was still open. The second floor was the original waiting room area. But one of the key things was bringing in these local food artisans and the port was very intrigued on the local entrepreneurial uses that would be, that would be down here. So um, it took about four years to restore the building and close to two years to lease it because we started early in, in the uh, development of the redevelopment of the building. And you're fully leased. And we're fully leased. Lots of wonderful food artisans with rich uh, Bay Area food tradition history. An unqualified success. This know, place is great. great. What was the use of the building before the renovation? In the 1950s, after the bridges were built, the port and also the ferries actually stopped in like the late 50s. The port was looking for new ways to build revenue. So that's when they started to chop up the building on the second and third floor into very small offices. And um, that built revenue, but it also took away a lot of the beautiful historic elements. So it was mostly offices, some restaurants beneath. Um, and then in 1972, the Sausalito Ferry started. And then, of course, in 1989, we had the earthquake that rendered the, the, uh, the double-decker freeway unsafe and brought it down. Right. In 1989, the, the ferry building was sort of the symbol of the Loma Prieta earthquake because the clock stopped at 5.04 p.m. Remember that picture? And the, the uh, flagpole on the top was tipped over at 10 degrees. So this became the symbol of the Loma Prieta earthquake. And in fact, this is sort of the, the end product of right, finally right. taking care of all the damage caused by the Loma Prieta earthquake. Right. When the, when the freeway was taken down, it really provided this visual view corridor to the building and reconnected the city to the building. And that really opened up the dialogue. Daniel Burnham, who worked on the original urban planning uh, of San Francisco, had always meant for the, <clears throat> the ferry building to anchor Market Street. 
and have a visual connection all the way up to Twin Peaks. And it's amazing now that the freeway up there has been changed around to see this visual connection literally all the way up Market Street down to the Ferry Building. Um, and it's, it really feels like the epicenter, the heart of San Francisco. What shop is this that we're in now? Ricuti Chocolates. Uh, Michael Ricuti is one of our original farmers market uh, food artisans. He started here uh, selling outside at the Ferry Plaza Farmers Market. And he uses a lot of wonderful local ingredients. He uses a lot of lavender, lemon verbena. He also uses these incredible limes that he dips, slices very thin, and then dips in key lime juice and then dries. And they're whisper, paper, paper thin. And then he dips them in a beautiful artisan chocolate. And for me, it, it you know, epitomizes what his product is all about, this local ingredient. You, and he uses a very traditional sort of French technique when he, when he works with a lot of these chocolates. So I want you guys to try it because it's super, super good. Take a piece and, yeah, take a piece here. Enjoy. Enjoy. Here, take one and pass it on around. San Francisco has become sort of a chocolate center in an odd way. Well, Ghirardelli is a long-time tradition. Also, Gary Guitard, who's in South San Francisco in Burlingame, his family came over for the gold rush and realized they weren't going to make money in gold, so they went back to France and got chocolate equipment to make chocolate. And uh, he brought it back, and he's one of the most renowned local chocolate artisans uh, here in uh, the Bay Area. But, yeah, long-time chocolate tradition right. here. I was reading the history of San Francisco the other day, and how so many people came here and took off for the gold fields and some of the really smart people stayed in San Francisco because they said these people are going to need services they're going to need food and places to stay and yeah, exactly. entertainment and pe people bought land and built buildings and right. some people made it big in the gold fields but a lot of these people who started companies after the gold rush made it really big and some of them are still here we still have some historic businesses some historic restaurants and um, and we're, we're trying very hard to preserve not just the physical bricks and mortar of San Francisco's history, like this beautiful building, but also there's a real push around the city to try and preserve some of the older cultural, um, meaningful institutions of businesses, restaurants, and other services. So I encourage you all to support longtime San Francisco businesses. Uh, I mean, there are so many old restaurants that we, we want to go to and use, you know, Jean Tied Jacks and Schroeder, Tadich Grill, right, John's, and all those wonderful things. Well, this is some serious chocolate. This is the real thing. So our groves are uh, were planted over 100 years ago. Uh, the ranch is called the Silver Ridge Ranch, and uh, it's all Spanish olives, all extra virgin, uh, less than 0.8% acidity. So it's very fine olive oil, whereas virgin olive oil is anywhere from 0.8 to 2% acidity. So you can tell the difference. We offer a house blend, which is a very nice nifty blend of five types of Spanish olives, which incorporates the Arbequina into that. We also offer tangerine olive oil, a very new product. We actually press tangerines, fresh tangerines, with the olives from our groves. So what you taste is the zest from the peel of the tangerine. Right, tangerines and other citrus fruits have an essential oil in their peel. Exactly, just as much as the uh, olives have an oil in the skin. That's right, and so they merge very well. Exactly. Excellent. Fleur de sel, they sell salt here. 
different kinds of salts have become a big thing in the culinary world. And uh, I have found at home that it actually makes a difference what kind of salt I'm using. The, both the, the character, the texture of the salt, how finely or coarsely ground it is, and, and where it's from, and what it's like. And here's a little salsa taste, fleur de sel. Okay, and where's the salt from? Uh, yes, in Brittany, France, it's the very top layer of the salt. Uh, so it's, it's very fine, fine salt. We usually offer gray salt, cell mm -hmm. grease, if you will. And for 80, every uh, 80 pounds of cell grease, one pound of fleur de sel is made. We didn't really talk about the clock tower yet. We looked at it from the outside, 230 feet tall. This clock tower is built as a replica of the tower in Spain. And this was mechanical and now it's an electrically operated yes, clock. Yes, but it can be still run mechanically. We still have the motors up there. Right. And so it's a real challenge. Every time we get to daylight savings time, somebody has to go reset yeah, our it. Our clock master actually comes in right at the time it's changing and goes up to the clock tower and changes it. We have clock watchers across the street that will call us if we're off uh -huh. by a second. So he's really? very, very uh, attached to the clock. We have a clock master. Dorian Clare. Yeah, he's great. Mr. Dorian Clare. And look at this. The hands of the clock. Look at how big they are. Holy mackerel. Nobody's up here. Look at this, the great seal of the state of California. This is just a wonderful mosaic. Yeah, it is wonderful. And it was original to the building. Tens of thousands of people cross by it every day. This was the actual waiting room area. So the, the larger alcoves you see here were actually the berths to, towards the, uh, the ferries and uh, the big planks that would go out to meet the ferries. And so people would come down off the ferries, across the waiting room floor, and then down the historic stairs to the trolley cars. But um, we did, uh, the family that, of the original artisan that designed the mosaic still lives in the Bay Area. And they come by every so often to make sure that it's intact and being taken care of. And very, very little um, repair to it, actually. This is sort of the before and after from the 19, 1910 to... 1960s, 70s. This is what the building looked like during that time. And it was under a lot of plywood and carpeting for about 30 years. But this was amazingly preserved underneath all the, the plywood and carpeting when they pulled it up. It's very light and airy. How do they ventilate this? Is, are these operable? The skylights are not operable. We have a cool air intake from the bay because of this huge atrium. It would be nearly impossible to any air conditioning up here. So we have a cool air intake on fans on the base side, so we use our nice temperate Bay Area quality, you know, air quality to cool the building down. When I first started working here, I, I was fascinated with all the arches and the, rep the repetitive arches. And A. Page Brown, who was the original architect, used it as symbolic gesture to, to the aqueduct in Rome, a symbol of how important water and waterways are to cities. And so, especially outside when you see the arches on the first floor where the arcades are, um, between the clock tower and the outdoor cafes. It, it does look like an aqueduct structure. And what are the uses of this floor and the floor above? We have about 10 office suites, so it's private businesses. We have law firms, financial management firms, um, lobbying firm, but all local businesses. So that's good, and they're very much involved in the marketplace and very supportive of it. I know that, that some part of this building the water actually extends underneath. The bay water is actually yeah. under there. Yeah, is it under the whole building? 
you know, there's a seawall, um, probably right about, probably probably right under where you're standing. There is a seawall, but a lot of it is under, is on the pilings, yeah. like Lawrence pointed out there's earlier. Actually, water underneath. Yeah. I've, I've seen a guy in a little boat. Yeah. that goes under there and I guess repairs There's them. Yeah, maintenance issues. And we also have the Coast Guard comes and anytime there's logs floating in the water, we have to call that the Coast Guard because that can bounce up under the, the, the pipes and stuff. Okay, well, I want to thank you all for coming um, and thank you, Jane, yeah, no so problem. much for your great information. And, uh, I love showing off the building. Really. And I uh, hope to see you all again next month for our next uh, DBI Brown Bag Lunch. Thank you very much.